Well, the title of my message today is Do It Again. And we're, we're coming into something great. We're coming into something wherein we are going to see God do something again. We're going to see uh, the quickening and the reviving of his church. And God is using... We're believing that there's a Romans 8.28 activity going on right now where God is using current situation, current affairs or current situation to catapult the church forward, the kingdom forward, and every believer. And I was thinking this morning uh, that my message today is mainly for believers. Uh, it's to encourage you that believe for sure and I was considering things that devolve, things that fall apart. I don't know why, but on the north side of my house, there's moss growing on the roof. Uh, there's just, you know, I don't know why. It's on the north side of the house. And so there's all this, this moss growing. You're going to have to go up and clean it up. going to be a giant mess. going to be uh, kind of a pain up there scraping that moss or pressure washing it. Uh, you know, and for... Uh, for a good 14 years, uh, for a good 14 years, uh, my boys have been running around uh, removing moss out of your yards. Uh, they've got their dethatching machine, right? Power rake. It's the power rake 22. Uh, and so this is the, the devolving of life. Life tends to devolve. Uh, life left alone tends to devolve. And so we've got to pull uh, moss out of your yard. I think their largest job this spring was 22 bags of moss out of one yard. It filled up the whole truck with bags and the whole trailer with bags. And then it filled up our property with moss. So, you know, things are devolving. Uh, relationships devolve. If left alone, our relationships get stale. They devolve. They start fervent. They start fiery. They start excited. Um, those of us in marriage relationships, they start with a honeymoon, and they start with excitement, and they start with expectations. Uh, but left alone, uh, they devolve. Uh, marriages also, they need revival. Uh, marriages, they need renewed uh, and renewals. Recently, uh, some of you saw me posting. We got to go out on the Puget Sound, beautiful area, a uh, place I'd never been, out on Hood's Canal, uh, looking up at the Olympic Mountains. But they were, we were there to renew the vows for a couple uh, who were hitting their 10-year anniversary. God's doing a new thing in their relationship, a new thing in their marriage uh, they wanted to celebrate that. God's answering prayers and fulfilling promises, and they wanted to celebrate that. They've had a rough season, but they're going into a brand new season. There's something about, uh, there's something about reviving. There's something about renewal. We can't say that reviving is a bad thing, that it's unnecessary, that we're beyond that, uh, because we see the picture of this in so many of our our, our natural circumstances. And there's something special about uh, that date time with your spouse, uh, getting away, uh, celebration, uh, trips and anniversaries. There's something special about the reviving of our relationships. And so it is in the Lord. So it is in the Spirit. Paul wrote to Timothy, and I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, 
that that Timothy needed something revived. Uh, I'm guessing that something concerning maybe the word over Timothy, uh, the inspiration, the anointing, the presence of the Lord uh, in Timothy's life, something was happening in Timothy uh, that was causing him to devolve in the fervency of the Spirit. And so Paul wrote this word to him, for this reason, I remind you, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. So maybe, maybe that's part of what was happening with him is that uh, there had been retreat due to fear. Uh, maybe there had been some kind of retreat due to his own self-perspective. But now Paul is writing to him and encouraging him to kindle afresh, to stir up, to, to light a fire, to, to refresh the fire. Uh, the word heard here, kindle, uh, we use kindling to get a fire going. Uh, blow some breath on that thing. Get, get that fire, get that gift of God and we don't know here if it was a prophetic gift, like a prophetic utterance or a prophetic release over him, or if it was the gift of the Holy Spirit, because the apostolic leaders were often used of God in dispensing the gift of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the anointing of the Spirit of God through the laying on of hands. So when they would go into a city, go into a village, there would be signs and wonders, there would be breakthroughs, there would be deliverance, and there would be the laying on of hands. Those who received the Lord would also receive the baptism, the infilling, the overflow of the Holy Spirit. And then they too would be through this initiated into this movement of God, this power of God, this, this supernatural grace of God. They too would be brought in and initiated into that which God was doing. And so now Paul writes to Timothy Whatever's happening with you, there's been a devolving. Whatever's happening with you, you need to kindle fresh the gift of God, the anointing of God, the presence of the God of God that's in you through the laying out of my hands. And I think that we could we could actually realize that this we we need this uh, happening with us. Uh, frequently, this is why in churches we have camp meetings, we have revival meetings, we have summer camps, we have retreats. Now we call them advances, right? Uh, because somebody said, well, hang on, we're not retreating. We're actually advancing when we retreat. So let's not call it a retreat. Let's call it an advance. So we had to change the name. But the purpose we have these solemn assemblies, and Israel had these. Israel had these solemn assemblies as well, and they began with something dispensed from heaven, something dispensed from God, something precious and powerful in God that would reset, recalibrate. It, it, it would adjust. It would uh, awaken. It would, it, it would stir up. It would ignite. It would dispense an inspiration, a presence, a ministry of the Spirit over them, and so they too, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and we find this back in Leviticus 23, the beginning of these solemn assemblies, of these sacred times where they would be called unto God for these sacred times in the Lord. And we too, we plan 
for the coming away with the Lord in the deeper, more intimate times. Why? Because things tend to devolve. Things left alone, even religion, as much as we love church and we love the gathering of the saints and we love the weekly coming together. And Hebrews 10, 25 and 26 tells us not to forsake the coming together of local assemblies, the gathering together of the people of God. Even as much as we love that, even even that weekly gathering can devolve if we're not careful. We can lose the luster of the romance. We can lose the fervency of the presence of God. We can, we can allow it to turn into religiosity. And, and this is what happens even in marriages. Even, even in a marriage, you can be in this, in this marriage relationship. You can be sleeping in the same bed every night. And yet soon turn into roommates, business partners, instead of fiery lovers, instead of those that are passionate about one another, instead of those that are interconnected in a love that cannot be broken apart by any thought, word, or deed. And so we have to watch for this because the coming together of us in a local assembly, of which we hope to do soon, and we'll be talking to you about that this week, the coming together in a local assembly also can turn into that which is religious. What we need to recognize, what we need to realize is that we need refreshing in the Lord. We need revival in the Lord. Not only do we as individuals, not only do we as church uh, local assemblies, but we as a culture are actually recalibrated and reset and restored through a revival in the church. That when revival hits the church, when fervency and refreshment and, and, and an outpouring of the Spirit hits the church, that the move of God through the church literally transforms culture and society. And not only do we need revival for the church, but what we call revival in the church then moves into what we call awakening in the culture, and we need it desperately. And we're believing God right now that this is the season for that. This is the season for that. And even as much as, uh, as we uh, think of uh, uh, an outpouring of the Spirit in the church and we think what that might look like and what that might feel like and what the Spirit might be doing in and through an outpouring in the church, uh, the Holy Spirit then wants to not only do that but blow through us as embers and emissaries, as, as those who are ambassadors of that fire to take that into culture. And we're believing that we're in that kind of a season. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the power that is connected to Pentecost and how as we come into this next week, May 31, and we celebrate Pentecost, we're actually celebrating two things. Two things that are relevant and two things that are so important to the church and so important for culture. We're celebrating power, the release of power, the empowerment of the church, but we're also celebrating harvest. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how that we can't be a power-only church. We can't be a power 
only people. We can't be a deliverance-only church. That intertwined with deliverance and power is truth. But I want to tell you today, intertwined with truth and leading the way, leading the way, and it's always led the way, is power. Power always leads the way. And those of us that want to understand or we want a reason-based Christianity, uh, we have to realize that it is a power-based Christianity that leads the way. That the Holy Spirit first topples the demonic realm. The Holy Spirit first confronts and overthrows the demonic realm. The Holy Spirit first comes with signs and wonders and miracles. And then they and we want to know the truth that's associated. There's a truth that's intertwined. And that's the way it's explained in Matthew 12 as well. A strong man who is stronger must come and bind up a strong man who is unclean and demonic. And then the house must be filled with truth. Jesus told the early disciples something as they were preparing for Pentecost. Actually, uh, after the resurrection, thousands of believers had made their way to Jerusalem and they're staying through from Passover to Pentecost. Pentecost, Shabbat. It was this celebration of weeks. It was seven weeks after Passover, and it was a celebration of harvest. After Passover, they celebrated the barley harvest, but now in seven weeks, they're going to celebrate the wheat harvest. They celebrated the first fruits after Passover, and we know Jesus was the fulfillment of that celebration. He was the first fruits. Now, seven weeks later, they're going to celebrate as was described and given them to do, and as they were instructed to do, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16, they were given instruction for this celebration, and it would be this celebration in seven weeks of the wheat harvest. But God had something planned all along. What was planned is there would be a release of power, and that power would pave the way for the harvest. And we saw that happen. And the release of power was corresponding with the presence of God, Yahweh, meeting Moses on Sinai on that very same day of Pentecost as they had come out of bondage and they were on their way into promised church. You are also on a journey. You're on a destiny journey right now from Passover to Pentecost. You're on a destiny journey, though, that goes beyond Pentecost. We're on a destiny journey from Passover to promise. Out of bondage and into promise. And Pentecost is right in the midst of that. We can't get to promise if we don't embrace Pentecost. And what we see happen is that there had to be a release of power for the release of the harvest. So I'm appealing to you. My heart toward you, my cry toward you, church, is that you would embrace a power-centered church.
that you would welcome the presence of the Lord, that you would not shun the overflowing of the presence of the Lord, that you would be a forerunner people. You hearing my voice, you hearing my voice today, you hearing my voice in this message, that you would determine in God, that you will open up your heart, that you'll be a forerunner people, that you will partner with what the Holy Spirit's doing globally, to be a forerunner people, to allow and to embrace and to welcome the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you could, you could say no to it. You could say no to the outpouring. You could say no to what he's about to do. In every generation and in every outpouring, there's always been those that have said no. There's always been the seven words of a dying church. The seven last words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. And in every generation, those who become colder, those who become callous, those who become less fervent, those who become distant, those who move into the prefunctory relationship that the Lord talked about when he spoke to Mary and Martha. You remember that passage in Luke when he spoke to Mary and Martha, and he gives a rebuke to Martha who was too busy about those things that appeared to be right. But Mary had chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus. She was recognizing Jesus for who he was and recognizing she wouldn't have that many opportunities to do so. And so there's a rebuke to Martha. Martha, Martha, you're busy with so many things, but Mary has chosen the better thing. My heart, my appeal to you is to you as the body of Christ that you would open up your heart, that there's something greater than ushering, there's something greater than greeting, there's something greater than the sound team, something greater than the video team, something greater than the classes, greater than the buildings, greater than the mowing, greater than any and everything the church does in their doing. And that's sitting at the feet of Jesus and opening our hearts and becoming those who do out of the anointing and out of the power of the gospel, out of the power of the outpouring that we would embrace today. And this coming week, a new Pentecost season. That's what every revival's looked like. Every revival has looked like Pentecost. Pentecost, when... The fire of God came upon the heads of those 120 in the upper room. Pentecost. 50 days after Passover. Pentecost. Shavuot. The day of harvest. The day of the giving of the law on Sinai. And the day that celebrated the fire of the Lord on the mount. Pentecost. When the church was launched... And Jesus had said, tarry in the city. Don't leave the city. Those early believers, they had walked with him for 40 days. They knew what the kingdom of God was all about. He, by the Holy Spirit, had spent 40 days explaining what the kingdom of God was all about. But now he says to them, though you understand, and though the Spirit is opening your eyes, don't leave the city. Don't leave Jerusalem. This is Luke 2449. If you need a scripture for it, I'll give it to you. Luke 2449. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. This is the promise out of Joel chapter 2, verse 28. 
Out of Joel chapter 2, Joel had declared a promise from the Father. Now Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city. Now they understood what he was talking about because he's been with them for 40 days. For 40 days, he's been walking with them and explaining the kingdom of heaven to them. But he's telling them, don't leave. Don't go on about this mission. Don't try to do this in a natural way. Don't try to start churches. Don't try to build the kingdom. Don't try to be my ecclesia. Don't, don't try to spread this word or spread this news from knowledge alone. Though you've got knowledge, I've given you the truth. I've been sharing knowledge with you. You have the truth. Don't try to go on this mission with truth alone. No, when they went down to Samaria, what happened? When they went into Samaria, they were healing the sick. They were casting out devils. All of those who were sick came and they were healed. Then they wanted to know about this Jesus. He tells them, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Dear believer, this has been the key to every revival. It will be the key to this revival. You see, on that day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, on that day in Acts chapter 2, there, there was a harvest, but it wasn't a global harvest. I, I don't know what you're expecting coming into Pentecost. I don't know what you're expecting in this season. I don't know how large of a harvest you're expecting in this season. But they didn't get the whole harvest. In Acts chapter 2, after Peter, who had been Simon the Reed before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but he's Peter, now the rock, he stands up and he preaches. See, this is what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit does. This is why we need to rekindle, because Simon was like one as long as he was knowledge-based, Simon was one like Timothy had become. The devolving of Timothy had brought Timothy into a status like Simon had become, or Simon was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was one who was timid. He was one who was shaken. He was one who was like a reed. He, that was his name. And now he is Peter the rock. After the anointing of the Holy Spirit, like Saul, whom we talked of last week, like Saul, after the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Lord has the ability, the anointing of the Holy Spirit has the ability to transform you and me. And God needs a transformed people. The word here, until you're clothed with power, it is the word dunamis in the Greek. It's the word dynamite, church. You who are refreshed, you who are revived, you who are renewed in the Spirit, you who receive that fresh anointing of the Spirit, of which we are, we are about and even now experiencing, you will receive dunamis, dynamite from on high. And so Peter, who had been this timid one, this quiet one, and yet he spoke too much, is now the bold one is now the bold one. He's the anointed one, and he stands up, 
and there was a harvest that day. But the harvest that day was more of an inauguration of harvest. It was the celebration of harvest. It wasn't the full wheat harvest, but it was the celebration of it because intertwined with the harvest that day was the release of power. And so those who were born of the Spirit, 3,000 that day in Jerusalem, were also subsequently filled with the Spirit and anointed of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and poured out over and over again upon those who believed. In Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, we celebrate Peter going to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius receives the word of the Lord, and there's a visitation, and then the anointing is poured out upon Cornelius, and this is repeated time and time again. And so we, be, so, so that day of Pentecost becomes known as the center, the, 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 the marker, the standard of all revival. And we see this whether we want it or not, whether we desire it or not, whether we, whether we yearn for it or not, that wherever there's a reviving of the church, wherever there's a reviving of those that love the Lord, wherever there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there will be the same Signs and wonders come upon those people as it did in Acts chapter 2. Why? Because as they were told, we can't be the fullness of God to the church or to culture without the outpouring of power. And wherever the Holy Spirit is poured out with power, there will be a release of Shavuot. There will be a release of harvest. There will be the initiation of harvest. Harvest comes wherever there's power. And wherever there's no power, the church will devolve and the pews will become empty. Church, God's calling us to be a power people, to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, to have an open heart, to have an open heart to the power of the Holy Spirit and to allow him to work. Those of us watching today, and I know all of you today, you would say that you want changes in culture, and I would say they can't happen unless there's fire in the church. There has to be fire in the church. If there's no fire in the church, there will be no change in culture. If you think the church will devolve, if you think the church will devolve, wait until you see the devolving of culture if there's a fireless church. But where there's a fiery church, that church that's on fire cannot help but spill the power of God into culture. And when the power of God is spilled into culture and lives are changed and people are transformed, when that happens, then culture will be transformed and shifted. And this has happened time and time and time again in our nation, but in the nations of the world. We've had a first, a second, a third great awakening. We've had so many great awakenings. One of my favorite great awakenings to read about is actually, and it's, it's sandwiched into the great awakenings. Some believe it was a part of the third great awakening, but it's called the layman's revival. Jeremiah Lamphere, 
was setting out just to start a prayer meeting. And he felt like he was led of the Spirit of God to start a prayer meeting. This is 1857. But not long after he started the prayer meeting, and nobody was coming to the prayer meeting, six people came to the first prayer meeting, maybe 12 to the second prayer meeting. Not long after he began those prayer meetings, the stock market crashed. Many times, it's calamity and trouble and difficulty in culture that opens culture's hearts to the gospel message and to the word of the Lord and to look to Jesus. It wasn't long until this prayer meeting turned into a mighty revival. Thousands were gathering for prayer morning, noon, and evening. And it was not only known as the layman's revival, but it was known as the businessman's revival. In New York alone, before this revival was over, 10,000 were coming to the Lord a week. And across the United States, 20,000 a week were coming and giving their lives to the Lord. And the prayer meeting that started with six in New York spread to Philadelphia, it spread to Boston, it spread to every major city, and thousands were coming to know the Lord. And in these revivals, in every one of these revivals, there was a Pentecostal environment. In every revival, there were those being delivered and set free from the demonic. Those were, there were the, the outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation, discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, the gift of faith, the gift of healing. All nine of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit were active in every single revival, and there's revival after revival after revival in our history. And this is the awakening that the culture needs, but it starts with the fire of revival within the church. One of my favorites, and you know, well, I want to read you a couple notes. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about St. Patrick of Ireland. We know St. Patrick today from the shamrock. We know St. Patrick today uh, from the ale or the pub uh, that uh, that we might uh, be familiar with in our culture or cultures across the world. But did you know that his true reputation has been stolen so that we wouldn't know the true things that he so powerfully was used of God in to bring reformation and to bring Christianity to Ireland? St. Patrick, let me just read a little bit. He was credited and is credited to bringing Christianity to Ireland. In other words, transforming a secular culture. Transforming a secular culture, and not single-handedly, but as God used him, others were raised up through the fiery work of the Spirit through him. Responsible for the Christianization of the Pecs and the Anglo-Saxons. It is said and written and recorded that he raised from the dead 33, some who had been deceased for some time. 
he, he brought forth many miracles. And it's been said that he performed a thousand miracles. A thousand miracles. Uh, the, the, the article I wrote here, uh, it's, it's out of a, a book from, uh, I believe, AD 1200. The author knows of no such saint of whom are claimed so many resurrection miracles as one ap- as in one lifetime as the apostolic lifetime of St. Patrick. For the blind and the lame and the deaf and the dumb, the palsied and the lunatic, the leprous, the epileptic, and all who labored under any disease, did he in the name of the Holy Trinity restore unto the power of their limbs and unto entire health. And in these good deeds he practiced daily. St. Patrick, a great missionary bishop who converted a whole land from paganism, overturning the religion of the Druids. He consecrated, now listen to the troop of fiery ones that he raised up. He consecrated 350 bishops, erected 700 churches, and ordained 5,000 priests. In less than 30 years, the greater part of Ireland was converted. What, what, would, what would God do with us? <laughs> what would God do with us who would welcome the fire of the Holy Spirit, who would say on this Pentecost Sunday coming, and, and, and I'm setting the stage and I'm preparing the way, that you would have a heart that pursues him because he is our answer. He is our answer. The knowledge we have of him is not meant to be held without the power that comes from the outpouring of the spirit and an intimate friendship with him. And he's calling us. We are the hope. We are the hope. He's calling us to come and to bring those things together, bring the knowledge and the truth, but bring the fiery presence of the Holy Spirit back into our churches that have devolved, our churches that have become cold, our churches that have become stale, our own prayer life that has become cold, our own prayer life, our own walk with him that has devolved, that has become more perfunctory, that's become more of a duty, it's become more of what we do, it's become more of checking the religious box that we attended church in a building. But did we walk with our maker? And did we walk so intimate with him that we were used by him? That we were his vessel, that we were, that we were his dispensing grace, that we were his written epistle, that we were a life-giving one. Dispensing not only hope to the sick, but healing to the sick. Resurrection power, strength and grace, health, dispensing the power of God.
wherever we go, wherever we go. First revived in our own lives and in the church, and then carrying that fire, that fire of his power into culture. If you're watching this for a moment, I wanna appeal to your heart. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you don't know him as savior. Maybe you don't know him as redeemer. Maybe you don't know him in the hope that I'm talking of, the hope that he gives, the hope that he grants, the hope that we've spoken of in the service today. As we took communion today, maybe you're not familiar with what it is to receive the elements of communion. Having applied to your own heart that Jesus represents you, that the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross, for you on the cross, was to redeem you, to buy you back from Satan, to buy you back from sin, to buy you back from iniquity, to buy you back from slavery to sin, addiction, negativity, fear, fear of death, darkness. He bought you back. He bought you back. Romans 2, 4 says that he wants to show you his kindness that it's kindness, the kindness of God that will cause you to change your mind and to be drawn to him. Paul writing to the Romans in chapter five, verse eight says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet rebellious, while we were yet unworthy, you see, coming to God's not about getting clean. It's not about getting worthy before you come. God receives you because of what Jesus has done before you're cleaned up. Before you're cleaned up. My heart to you, my appeal to you is that wherever you're at today, wherever you're watching today, wherever you're hearing this message today, that you will open your heart to him. Maybe you're saying, I want to be one of those who is revived of spirit. I want to be one of those who's revived of hope. I want that anointing that you're talking about, that oil of anointing, that outpouring of the spirit, that outpouring of power. I want him. I want him gracing me and working in my life. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer today and welcome you to welcome him. Be the Lord of your life. And to lead you and to begin to lead you into that relationship of refreshing and reviving and power and grace. I wanna pray with you and then I'm gonna pray with those of you that already know him, but you've let your walk with him devolve. Let's pray together. Father, I'm approaching you in the name of Jesus. Come on, just say this after me as you're watching. And I welcome you, Father, to receive me. Receive me into your family and apply the sacrifice of Jesus to my bankrupt spiritual account. I welcome you to transform me. I acknowledge I don't deserve to be your child. But if Jesus has made me worthy, and if he has made me righteous, 
And if he will cover me with his own sacrifice, then I will live for you. I will turn my heart to you. I will commit my path to you. And I ask you to fill me with your spirit. I ask you to touch me. I ask you to revive me. I ask you to renew me. I ask you to be the fire within me. I ask you to pour out the presence of the Holy Spirit upon me, making me a fiery one. Revive me that I might be a reviver. I ask you to do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer today, I invite you to get to our website, get to restoredlife.com. Come visit us. Communicate with those that are online with you right now. We're going to close in worship and with a worship song, but we invite you to let us know you prayed that prayer and run to the fire. Run to the fire. Let God revive your soul.